comics and toys. Gateway is located at 2368 Plank Road in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Our website is gatewaycomicsandtoys.com where you can find more information about our store including hours, new releases, and specials for the week. Our social media is under Gateway Comics and Toys as well so you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Alright everybody, good evening and welcome to Lost in the Long Box for Wednesday, November 18th. Um, I'm your host Randall, I've got my co-host Enos. Enos, are you there? Yes, I am. All right. I'm having a zapped off. Okay, because I lost video on you, all I see is your name. And then Madman working the boards? Um, we are without Tommy and Olivia tonight, so it's just going to be the three of us, so hopefully we know what we're talking about, right? Um, so how was everyone's week? Everyone was good. Uh, Enos, sorry about your truck. Um, I understand you're still having issues there. Oh, yeah, man. It's still... I, it's still the... Uh, the um, power steering power steering pump zapped on me. And just... Uh, I done found one, so just got to get to put it on. I'll be... Hopefully, be back on track in about a week or two. Okay. Um, yeah, so we're, we're the same boat. We lost a forerunner um, a couple months ago. To, to other issues and so now we have to get what we call another chariot for the dogs because the, oh, yeah. the forerunner is primarily for the dogs and y if you moved it they both went nuts so oh first, yeah first couple of days they've noticed that the chariot is gone so <laughs> I hear you. right um so um madman how was your last week uh it was good it was good i did some writing for my show and uh played some video games so that's fun. Super. Awesome. Always a good time. Um, all right. So let's go right to the news items. Fortunately, I actually have three um, this week that I read that I thought was uh, pretty cool. Um, well, not pretty cool, but of, of note, shall we say. The first one is I noticed that WB is weighing the options on Wonder Woman 84. Uh, they are now talking about pushing it back to summer 2021 or keeping with the December date and then going to HBO Max also which leads me to believe that they went with the original Christmas date that they were talking about. Um, then it would only be out like maybe a week or two before it hit HBO Max. Um, I find it um, interesting that um, Patty Jenkins herself had said that, um, uh, and her quote is, I know how important it is to bring this movie to you on a big screen when all of us can share yes. the experience together. So I'm hoping you won't mind waiting just a little bit longer. Um, so, I find it a bit odd that this is now happening to them because if you remember, the original release date for Wonder Woman 84 was November 1st, 2019. And they yeah. pushed that back to June. And then, of course, we know what happened come June. But it makes you wonder if you had just kept with the November date, you know? Yeah. 
And I don't remember if the November date was, was pushed back to not compete with something or if it was post-production problems. I want to say it was to not compete with something. Uh, at this point, I'm like, maybe you should have just done it anyway. Was it, was it because they didn't want to... Uh, well, the Star Wars film didn't come out until uh, December, so it wouldn't have been that. I, I honestly don't know why they pushed it back. I would have to go looking it up, but I I vaguely remember it was something else was coming out, and they didn't want the competition for that weekend. Mm. So, or for the holidays, because, you know, the holidays, just like summer, are big blockbuster seasons now. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think they have actually made a decision. It was said summer to 2021 or staying with December and then HBO Max So in, in January, so... At least that's the way I'm reading it. I would think it would be HBO Max in January and or Summer 21. So, who knows? Um, did you also see Yara Flor, the Brazilian Wonder Woman we were talking about in the uh, DC Future State thing? Um, she is the first one that's been announced as getting her own individual title after the Future State series is over. Um, so it's going to be Future wow. State Wonder Girl, and it looks like it's actually going to be done by Joelle Jones, who's also um, writing... At Catwoman, um, an artist. So that's actually going to be pretty good. I'm actually kind of looking forward to that one. But the big news I noticed is that she has also been greenlit for a series at CW as well. Yeah. Um, which is going to fit into Arrowverse. So I, um, which I think, whether they name it now, they dubbed it the CW verse. But I think it's interesting that both announcements pretty much came the same week. Yeah. So that tells me somebody feels really good about that character. Big time. Which, I mean, it's, you know, I understand why we need more strong feminine heroes and she's going to fit the bill there. Also, this just dropped as well. Did you notice that HBO Max put out the new teaser trailer for the Snyder Cut of Justice League? Yes, saw it today. And it's featured on the Batman Yesterday, Today, and Forever page. And it looked pretty doggone good. It it does. And I noticed it was all black and white, so I can't wait to see it in color. Um, and they did say that they're going to do it as four one-hour episodes, I guess. Um, what, I'm, what I'm really hoping for is that everybody sees this and goes, why didn't we get this movie? And then it lets um, HBO and Warner's greenlight Snyder to do the other two in this series. Because remember, this was supposed to be a, a three-picture project. So. And, they, and they also confirmed this week as well, which is part of my news <laughs> item, that Ben Affleck has been confirmed to come back to do, having confirmed to come back to do the reshoots. I have a funny feeling that when this is all said and done, and if there's any success whatsoever with the um, with this Snyder Snyder cut of Justice League, we're gonna. I got a feeling we're gonna see a a, a standalone HBO. Max project with Ben Affleck as Batman, and people are clamoring for that for him to return and for Joe Mangello as uh, Deathstroke the Terminator. Well, if now, you it, go if, ahead. if you check the casting news for who's going to be in the Snyder Justice League, he is listed as as Terminator for that. Yeah, yeah, definitely saw that. And if he does the job that Esai Morales did on the second season of Titans, oh my God. I, I, could, I agree with you. I could actually see, um, since all the DC 
direct shows went to HBO Max. I could see us getting a, a separate Justice League or Batman project on HBO Max if this if this works. So. Oh yeah, and, and if this thing really, really does, you know, everyone's running their mouths right now because, like, I'm pretty sure you've looked on the, with the scuttlebutt that goes on with CBR and all that. Everyone is saying everything but good things about it. I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of people going to be eating their words when it's said not. Well, remember, when the movie itself came out, <clears throat> several people, including like Jason Momoa, came out and said, you should see what Snyder was doing. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, Jason, Jason Momoa was the one that kind of like got everything started and said, yeah, there is a Snyder cut. I've seen it. Right. And he even said, what you guys were going to get is so much better than what was eventually released. So, Oh, yeah. All right. Any more news items? Madman, you got anything? We never hear from you because by the time we get to the news items, we're half an hour in. Well, I have to defer just to the, the vast <laughs> knowledge that you guys have when it comes to comic books. Uh, I don't read them every day. You know, I'm, I'm poor. All I got is a bunch of comic books that I've already read. You I'm, know, so... I'm actually rereading through in, through uh, Invincible now. I'm up to trade paperback 11 that I just started today. Oh, yeah. Um, so funny story. When I was reading Invincible, I got all the way through the, um, the first 11 trade paperbacks. And I said, what's the silly? I'm going to start buying the hardcover collections. And I got all the way to number 11. And then this, the series was still going. So I didn't buy any of the actual issues. I was just buying the collections. And then it said, well they announced that Invincible was going to end at issue 144. And I said, well, I'll just wait for, you know, book 12 to come out. And then book 12 came out and I bought it. I stuck it on a shelf and then I haven't read it. So I'm thinking, well, now I'm just going to go back and just read the whole series from beginning to end. Um, because it really is one continual story. Um, a lot of the characters that you meet in the very first 12 issues play pivotal roles throughout the entire series. So, Well, um, what I've had on my mind when it comes to comic books, is uh, there's a guy I work with, uh, comedian scott wharton he's got his podcast he runs through fxpg public radio as well and he's never really read any comic books and so i've been thinking about like all the graphic novels i have and it's like what would i let him borrow that would be just like a really good overview right and i'm thinking of things like uh batman dark knight returns mm -hmm. um i got the greatest joker stories ever told which i think is a really good one to, to let him read because i mean most people i mean when they if they introduce the comic books, they're introduced to probably Batman and Superman first. Right. And so, uh, I, I mean, I remember years ago, I let a friend read uh, The Dark Knight Returns, and he got into comic books after that because he, he just thought it was like kid stuff, you know, until he read that story. And I was just like, yeah, man, it's like, it could be really super awesome. I tell you two good ones um, that I recommend for people to get into comics if they actually want to see the serious side of them. Um, Marvels. Marvels, yeah, that's a good one. I got yeah. that. And Kingdom Come. Because both of them have art by Alex Ross, and they both show you um, that the heroes are human, and sometimes yeah, there's got to be, there's gotta be hard choices made. Yeah, I think I might do that. I think I might let them borrow Marvels. Um, I mean, I also usually recommend Identity Crisis, but Identity Crisis does require that you know some history of the Flash. Uh, um, yeah. Well, I mean, you don't start off somebody who is mildly interested that you, you know, you don't give them like Crisis on Infinite Earth. Right. You know, start off on. Another good one, Mad uh, Madman, that I would recommend to get someone started would be um, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Hard Traveling Heroes. Oh, right. Which, which kind of like was ahead of its time as far as um, coming, breaking the mold of the quote unquote funny books. 
uh, for the youngsters right. now during the time. And, uh, and, and like, you know, you and I have talked about it ourselves. And these are stories that hit home and are still relevant right now. Yeah. I, I thought, yeah, those, I thought that was always a good pairing, especially in the time it was in put, putting, uh, yeah. well, I mean, it, it was making the green arrow, like a more interesting character uh, yeah. in himself, where he became this voice of the streets, you know, the voice of the people right. and becoming re- real kind of like an activist. You know, it's, uh, I think I, we could talk about this some other time, but, uh, it's kind of like Hawk and Dove, you know, yeah. you know, where it's two different, uh, two different people, two different points of view, but you know, they come together to get the job done. It's even like Greatest American Hero. In Greatest American Hero, you had Ralph Hinckley, who was this, uh, you know, special ed teacher, real, uh, real uh, liberal kind of guy. Then you got the hard-nosed uh, FBI agent. Right. Who's And the Greatest American Hero is not the guy in the suit. It's the, the two of them. Right. Working together. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and, I, and, I, and I love how they deliberately, when they did that show, they made it about them. It wasn't just about Ralph. Yeah, absolutely. I missed that show. God, I used to love that show. I got it on DVD, man. You, you know what they were going to do for the, was it the third season? Because it went two seasons, right? Uh, yeah, they're going to do yeah. give the suit to somebody else in the third season, right? Well, there was, there was a couple of things they were talking about. Number one, the aliens were going to come back and give them another manual. So we were going to be done with the whole useless power things. Yeah. Um, supposedly, and then remember, this was during Cold War era. Apparently, yeah. there was going to be a Russian equivalent. Well, I mean, even in the first season, there's Russian plots. Right, yeah. right. And then, but now remember they did do one where it had a woman getting the suit. Remember that it was like a two-hour pilot movie. Yeah, it was. I think it was. I think that was the pilot for the third season. Might yep. could have been. Anywho, uh, let's go to the show and tell. Enos, you go first. Connie Selica. Okay. Connie Selica. Yes, man. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remember the first, Enos. Well, folks, I'm uh, tonight. I brought one of the um, books that inspired me to become a writer. You ever, Scott was talking about how he wrote this weekend, and I wrote this well this weekend as well. Um, Night Spectre 2000, issue number two, should be completed by this weekend. Then it's on to issue three, and then I'm going to begin to start looking for an artist and getting things ready for um, to make a proposal for my own series, Night Spectre 2000. So wish me luck, guys. Okay, tonight I brought Iron Man trade paperback the demon in the bottle storyline oh, great this story is where we were ex- we were introduced we were um introduced to the fact that tony stark is an alcoholic and if any of you got the individual series individual um books you will remember the cover where it drove it home he's standing there in the front of his mirror with a bottle of canadian mist in front of him and he looks like pure plum hell and this drove and this is one of the things that made marvel um popular and still resonates to this day where they their characters were heroes who had all these abilities but they had our problems and it made them relatable absolutely didn't uh christina aguilera make a song about that something All right. Good one. Good one, man. man. Good one. <laughs> Good okay. One. Um, but anyway, going back to the Demon and Storyline bottle, remember, it's either Iron Man or Iron Man 2, where we saw Tony drinking a lot in one of the movies, yeah. and I yeah. thought we were going, they were going to go that route. 
I, yeah, I, I was think waiting setting it up in Iron Man too. Yeah, I think that was the closest we were ever going to get to that. And that was the thing that really, if I had any disappointment with anything in the Marvel Cinematic Universe other than Captain Marvel, we ain't going there. Uh, it is, um, it is the fact that we had the perfect person to bring that storyline to life, and they didn't do it. I think the ball was dropped on that. Absolutely. I think that that's why a lot of us suspected it was coming because right. it was Robert Downey Jr. Right. Right. Who had personally been through that hell and like, you know, I don't need to right. act it. I lived it. Yeah. So. Right. And, 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 and I think w- with his acting chops and the fact that he had endured that, oh, he would have brought that story home. Absolutely. Big time. So um, I have a confession to make. <clears throat> this will probably get me disowned. So this weekend, I went ahead and, and got back to watching my Avengers Endgame because, you know, I had to update the, the firmware on my uh, uh-huh. Blu-ray player. So I finally sat down and watched Endgame. And, and <clears throat> Brie Larson shows up as Captain Marvel in it when she showed up at Avengers headquarters and what have you. I, I think I might kind of dig Brie now. Why? Yeah, but that I, haircut. She was. She, oh, hey, the look, new haircut. Hey, look, yeah. Hey, look, I ain't mad at you. She was yeah. looking hot. I, that, I, that girl. I mean, she. I'm gonna say she looked kind of hot as Captain Marvel. Like, I, I think I can deal with her. Yeah, now. that girl from Roxette was gorgeous. <laughs> so. <laughs> so <laughs> anyhow, I like. I, I know if I say this, I'm gonna get something chucked at me. But moving right along, um, I like that Gozer the Gozerian haircut. <laughs> Gozerian, yeah. are you a god? <laughs> No. Are you a god? <laughs> then die. I'm sorry I went there. Ray, the next time someone asks if you were a god, you say yes. Okay. <laughs> um, Madman, Comic Cam. There's the Comic Cam. Uh, Madman has brought in the protectors. Now, what, what issue number is that? Uh, number five. Number five. Like. So, um, you notice it is uh, from Malibu. Um, it fits in with the independent publishers we were talking about last week. But also, there is a very important thing about the Malibu titles and the Malibu company, which we will get to when we talk about our um, subject this week, which I'll just go ahead and tell you now. We are going to be concentrating on Image Comics this week. Um, so, I'll just go ahead and throw it out there now. When Image first started, Malibu did all the distribution for them. Um which I did not know that. I was like, huh, how interesting. So kind of actually made sense because they started up from scratch. They needed someone to push their books out for them. Yeah, and then if, if you want to buy this comic book, uh, you can just email me at madman at fxbgpr.com. It's, uh, it's in a bag, but apparently there's a hole in it. A hole in the bag or a hole in the comic? A hole in the comic book. I don't even know how it got in there. It, it came bagged. There's a, that's not the one with the bullet hole in the middle of it, right? Yeah, the force beam hole. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who was there? Was some other character too? Where they did the whole bullet hole thing as well. Well, I mean, this was of course in the time of the '90s, where there was any kind of gimmick, right, for a comic book. So this is just one of them. I also have a an Eclipso book with a plastic oh, diamond glue. Oh, stupid plastic diamond! And God, I hated that thing. <laughs> <laughs> because even when you bagged it, you still had this big yeah. bulge in the middle of the bag, and yeah. thinking, "Well, this isn't going to work." Not to mention that the series started off well and then just went right down the tank. Okay. Ready for yours? I am ready for mine. So I have the Volume 1 trade paper about, of Alex plus Ada, um, which was Jonathan Luna and who is that? Sarah Vaughn. Sarah Vaughn. Thank you. Um, this actually is a really good story. Um, 
you can all all the issues are collected now in three volumes, volumes one, two, three. Um, this is a great storyline because it does explore the concept of what does it actually mean to be human. But the reason I brought this trade in, Madman, if you would mind, switch back to you. Uh, no, no, no. If you would, oh, the inside page. I picked this up at Free Comic Book Day a couple years ago with a signature oh. by Jonathan Luna and a sketch of Ada on the inside. Yep, that's cool. And I and I can verify that because I was there. Oh, that's right. You were there that day when I went and picked it up. The the thing that sucked is I already had all three of these at home, and I didn't know he was going to be at Free <laughs> Comic Book Day. So I said, "Well, you know what? I'm buying another one, um, and have you sign up for me." And go, "Would you like a sketch on the inside of it?" I'm like, "Okay, yeah, sure." And then he started drawing Ada, and I was getting all giddy. I'm like, "He's drawing Ada. He's drawing Ada." <laughs> <laughs> we had a great time that day, man. I hope we get to do more like that again very soon. Uh, well, next year, I'm sure. Um, yeah, all right, yeah. so let's go ahead and move into tonight's subject. We are going to be talking about Image Comics. Uh, so last week, if you were listening, we talked about the independent publishers. We purposely stayed away from Image because Image is pretty much the number three company right now um, behind Marvel and DC, and I would say they are quickly nipping at DC's heels. Um, we used to have a running joke when Image first started, me and a couple of friends of mine, and it was, you couldn't read an Image comic. You could look at the pretty pictures, but there was actually no story. Um, looking back, I'm, I would gladly eat those words because I am a firm believer that if you want to do any type of a cutting-edge comic that's not in the superhero genre, you take it to Image. Um, so it's very interesting the way this started. So for those of you who are old enough to remember, um, there was a point when um, Marvel um, had this whole thing with the way they uh, owned creator rights. So if you created a comic, you created a character, um, once it got published, they owned it, lock, stock, and barrel. Marv Wolfman knows this exclusively from his creation of Blade um, in a Marvel universe, especially when they made a movie and he wasn't getting royalties and went, excuse me, I, I own that character. So in the early 1990s, um, Eric Larson, Rob Liefeld, and Jim Valentino. These are all names who I'll tell you, if you don't already know who they are, I'll tell you how important they are in here in just a moment. So they had a dinner with the editor-in-chief of Malibu Comics, Dave Ulbrich. Uh, Malibu at the time was already you know, a small, independent company, but he was very sympathetic to creator ownership and what was going on with the big companies and the owners and their characters. Um, so he actually spoke to them about creating their own company. So in December of 1991, Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, and Rob Liefeld, and also Eric Larson and Mark Sylvester, who weren't there, but they were part of the group, met with Terry Stewart um, of Marvel Comics and basically told him, we're going to leave, we're going to form our own company. Now, they actually told Marvel when they left, this is why we're leaving. It's because of the way you're creating or um, trading your creators. And they actually told um, Terry Stewart at Marvel, if you are not careful, we are not going to be the only people leaving. Um, so you need to look at what you're doing with the creators, all right? Um, the next day, they had that same meeting with DC Comics where they told them, hey, we're going to go do our own stuff. Um, we're creating our own company. Um, so here's when I mentioned these names, how important they were. So Todd McFarlane was doing Spider-Man over at Marvel Comics. Huge hit for them. Jim Lee was doing X-Men at Marvel Comics. 
Rob Liefeld was doing X-Force over at Marvel. Mark Silvestri was working on Wolverine. Um, Eric Larson was doing the Amazing Spider-Man book, okay? Because there was like, what, three, four Spider-Man books then, right? Yep. Um, Jim Valentino was doing Guardians of the Galaxy. And then Jim Lee also convinced Wills Portacio to leave, and he was doing Uncanny X-Men. So you basically have here seven guys who are doing your biggest books at Marvel, your biggest books, telling you we are leaving and forming our own company because we don't like what you're doing to the creators. Yeah, but there's some lower-level artist that's like, yes, promotion. Well, and that was it. It was like, hey, you know, these big holes just got, yep. you know, just opened. But here's the thing. It's like seven of your biggest titles. Oh, yeah. You know, who are you going to get to do that? Um, I mean, it's not like, let's be honest, it's not like She-Hulk. We could just plug in any artist or writer and say, you know, you're throwing something in the wall to see if it sticks. You have to get a top-name talent, and now you have to do it on seven books. Do you think there's a different artistic standard when it comes to the uncanny X-Men as opposed to She-Hulk? There's not, but back then, especially back then, if you were going to take someone and put them on your biggest book, say like Amazing Spider-Man or Uncanny X-Men, it had to be be like the best. It had to be a name that when you put it in your house ads, people look at it and went, ooh. Yeah. You know, but... And in all fairness, all those names are names like that. Right. Because remember, remember at the time this happens, 1990, you know, you're not having Facebook, you're not having internet forums. Everything is done through house ads, Wizard Magazine, and word of mouth. Yeah. And, and, and that was it. And previews by Diamond. And, and previews by Diamond, right. So if they'd waited just five years, right. it would have been way easier. Pretty much. Them. Um, so anyway, they all leave and they announce that they are forming Image Comics. Um, so, and here's the thing about Image. When they formed, there was two key provisions in their charter, and these are very important. So the first one is, is that Image would not, only cr- not own any creator's work. The creator would. That's huge. Yes, that is huge. That is very huge. Because all the way from 1938 all the way up to 1991, 1992, you made a character you wrote that character in the comic book. Once you got illustrated, printed, and put out into press, gone, baby. No longer yours. It belongs to Marvel. It belongs to DC. Well, I mean, if you worked in the industry, I'm sure you've heard about all the drama involving the creators of Superman. Absolutely. And, and how so, I mean, I think that's why I, I can respect Image Comics, even if I didn't like it. Because, I mean, they, they're artists that wanted, you know, creative control and property control. Over their intellectual property. Right, absolutely. And, and like I said um, earlier, I mentioned Marvel Wolfman and the creation of Blade, which I think Blade was created for like the Marvel Knights or the, um, what was the, uh, the new universe, how or what have you. But the point was, that was created under that flagship of Marvel where the owners retained creator con- uh, ownership right. of, the, of the character because it wasn't under the regular Marvel banner. So when the movie got made, Marvel Wolfman went, Excuse me, I didn't see any money for this character. <laughs> and they're like, "What? Right. That's my character. You can't sell the movie rights. I own those." Right. And that was a oops. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so anyway, because that's very interesting that you say that because it is amazing how that flipped. Because basically, um, the reason why Image was created was because of the fact that everyone had gotten tired of the work for hire clause 
when you went to work for these big companies. Right. And and um, basically, the the formation of Image was a protest to that because Todd McFarlane, because let's put it this way. Back in night from 1990 to 1991, that was during the period of uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Yep. Comic books were very, very big at that time. And and right after the Gulf War ended in 91, we saw, or, the, or the, during that time, we saw Tom McFarlane's Spider-Man debut. Sylvester was on Wolverine and was kicking some major behind on that. For um, Portacio was doing Uncanny X Men. As a matter of fact, he drew the F D F the issue that introduced Bishop to us. Right. He um and um Larson was doing Amazing Spider Man right after Mark Bagley had left. And like I said, talked about McFarlane was doing Spider Man. Liefeld was doing um, X Force. Don't ask me how the world that sold. He couldn't draw feet, but nevertheless. Um, but um, these guys were the, and then in '91, Lee came out with the big X Men explosion, and then all of a sudden, these guys said, "Hey, like you said, Randy, we're leaving. We're going to do our own thing." Right. And they gave a thorough warning to the comics industry. They put the actually they put the comic book industry on notice per se, in regard to creators' rights. Well, we don't here, like what y'all be doing. And here's the other thing, too. Um, so, number one, not only did um, they state that Image would not own any of the creators' work, they wouldn't own any, own any of the intellectual property other than the company logo, right? Here's the other big one. Uh, no Image partner would interfere creatively or financially with, into any other partner's work. I'm going to go back and read that again. No Image partner would interfere creatively, creatively, or financially. The big word here is creatively, because how many times did you see somebody was writing a book at, say, Marvel or DC? They had their storyline going, and then all of a sudden you had the creator doing this miniseries event, and he goes, by the way, I need to tie in Superman, or I need to tie in Spider-Man to the storyline. Okay, great. What do you want me to do? I need you to give me three issues where you tell part of my story in your book, but that's going to put my story on hiatus. Yeah, well, the editor says to do it. And that's yeah. exactly what this was saying. You can't do an event in your book and ask me to participate and then tell me you're going to hijack my storyline for three months to do it. You still there with me, Enos, or are you locked up? I'm okay. Still, I'm still with you. I'm still with you. So that's, ex I mean, that's exactly what that is saying right there. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, and, if, you, and if we fast forward to today, have any of you guys ever stopped to look at the credits of some of the comic book films now? Or even, they don't, not even just the films. Watch an animated series, a uh, superhero animated series, and look at the credits. Pay, pay, pay special attention to the credits, especially with the DC Universe films and what have you. Now, Image put so much, put, put the industry on so much notice with the creator rights, now you cannot look at a. You can find out who created the character if you look at the um, credits. Oh yeah, it'll say, for example, Hellblazer created by Alan Moore, Stephen Bissett, and John Tolbert. 
Yeah, you watch any of those, and, and it tells you based on character created by. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, these guys leave, um, and then here's now here's where it kind of starts to get a little bit sticky, okay? Um, each of the image partners made their own studio, which would then be published under the, the image banner. So kind of like when Marvel, you had Marvel Comics, and then you had like New Universe and Mar- MK, you know, Marvel Knights, what have you, but they all came under Marvel. Same type of thing. You had Image, but then you had, so Todd McFarlane Published Productions, which is obviously Todd McFarlane's studio. Then you had the Wildstorm Productions, which was Jim Lee's studio. You had Highbrow Entertainment, which was Eric Larson's studio, and I never actually knew that's what his studio was called. Um, you had Shadow Line by Jim Valentino, um, Top Cow Productions by Mark Silvestri, and then Extreme Studios by Rob Liefeld. And it was the same type of deal. They were all their own little studio, but they all came under the image banner, right? So here's what's interesting, and I was talking about this earlier. So they had all their own studios, and they were doing all their own titles, but all the publishing and distribution and the production was being done by Malibu Comics, the guys who encouraged them to leave um, Marwa to begin with. So I'm almost thinking that Malibu might have had a vested interest as in, hey, this is our way to actually get a big piece of uh, the comic book industry pie here. We, you know, we'll encourage these guys to own their characters, we'll start a new company, and we'll start making some money off of it. Okay, whatever. Um, but anyway, so they launch with um, these four titles. So Rob Liefeld's Youngblood, Eric Larson's Savage Dragon, um, Todd McFarlane's Spawn, and Jim Lee's Wildcats. Okay? Um, and I guess you can bet what happened. They took off. They exploded. Oh, yeah. Because everybody saw these huge names, new number ones, a new company, and it says, I want to get it on the ground floor. Absolutely. And then they also, now these things weren't as successful, but they launched later with like Mark Silvestri, Cyber Force, and then Valentino's uh, Shadowhawk. I remember a lot of people being really upset about Shadowhawk. Because remember, for like the first 10 issues or so, you didn't know who the character was. All you ever saw was in character was costume. You didn't know who his real name was. Remember that, um, Enos? Did you read that book? Yes, I did. I, I seem to remember a lot of people being it, upset when they finally revealed who it was. Right, and everyone was except the um, was, and then it created a lot of controversy when it came to find out what it, they they revealed that he was HIV positive, and that he had been injected with the um, HIV virus, and he was basically on. He had been, he was terminally ill, and he just dedicated himself while he had the help and strength to go out and be a vigilante, and he was a vicious one because he would break the backs of his enemy. Right. I and, do remember uh, that. And a lot of people just weren't too crazy about that. He was like the Punisher without the gun. Right. I do remember him being a little extra violent. Uh, but also, another title that launched was um, Wet Works by Wills Portacio. Now, unfortunately, when Image first started, even though Jim Lee had convinced um, Portacio to come over, he had to leave during the formation of the company because his sister was ill, so he had to deal with that. So, um, his you know, Wet Works, unfortunately, I think, suffered from the late launch, um, as did both Shadowhawk and, and Cyberforce, because I don't think, since they weren't there at the launch, um, they surfed a little bit, but Image did really good because when he first started up, um, within like the first year, they were like getting 10% of the North America comics market share. Um, they, to the point that they got so successful that after the first year, 
they were able to do their own distri- distribution and printing, and they kicked Malibu to the curb. <laughs> Which, if you're Malibu, you're like, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it should have been a warning when they wouldn't give the property to you, you know? Right. And it turned out to be a good move because three years after Limit, after Image launched, Marvel bought out Malibu. Right, and then shut them down. And shut them down. Now, here's, so, the, other, here's the other good thing, too, when we go back to Image. Um, not only did they launch and create all their own owner, all their own titles, but they also were kind of a safe haven for other publishers and other creators to bring projects there. Um, so things like uh, Dale Cohen's The Pit um, and Sam Keith's Max and uh, Alex Ross' Astro City. Astro City was a great comic. Did yeah, you it read? was. Oh, I used to love Astro City. Um, Colleen Doran's Distant Soil was brought over to the image line. And then Just Missed Bone came over there. So a lot of these independent publishers and their titles that wanted to be able to to have some control over it were brought to image. Okay. But let's talk about, there is a bit of a dark side. Okay. Um, so since they were actually their own publishing house, um, some of them, and I don't actually know who it was. I know that Eric Larson and I think Valentino kept doing their own work. Like Eric Larson, you got to give him props. He went in there, started Savage Dragon and that's all he's done the entire time he's been there. Yeah. Um, almost 300 issues now. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I think that is because he had a very solid concept for a character. Right. Out of all those first, those initial image titles. Right. He never, he never strayed from that. Yeah. But a lot of these um, studios started to hire some freelancers to illustrate their stories. Right. Um, so a lot of people started criticizing them that you're doing exactly what you left. You created these characters that you have control over, but now you're hiring freelancers to do the work um, instead of doing it yourself. So. You're containing, retaining control of the character, great. But now you've got someone else doing it who can't make any change on it without your say so. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of, now you're the man. Right. Now, you're the, yeah. now exactly. you're the evil Marvel publisher. Right. <laughs> the other problem is everybody at Image was an artist or a writer, they had no business or management experience. So immediately you start getting publishing delays. Because you just, and we all know, being creative people ourselves, the hardest thing to do is to keep us on track and make you finish a project, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> I, I, mean, I guess there's a purpose to having an editor. Right. <laughs> How oh, many yeah. times have you started a short story or a novel or something, and then midway through, you get an idea and you start doing that one? Well, it's just like every editor you see in like com- comic books, you know, they're always so ornery, you know, because they have to deal with creative types. Right. So and now, well, here's the thing, though. So since they started getting publishing delays, and I really wish Olivia was here for this because she could testify to this. Um, at the time, and even now, as a matter of fact, when your comic shop ordered copies of a book um, that was coming out, it was done so based on the sales of the previous issue. Yeah. Well, since they started lagging behind in publishing, people started losing interest because the book wasn't on the shelf every month. Yeah. So therefore. Your comic shop, who might have been ordering 20 copies of Young Blood the previous month, if they're not seeing another issue for two months, they might only sell 15 of those 20. And then the next issue is another two months late, and now you're only selling eight copies of the 15 right. of the 20. So it started having this snowball effect of, well, I'm not going to order my 20 copies because you're not meeting your, your deadlines, and the fans just aren't there. I can tell you from personal experience, 
um, if a book falls way behind and I don't see it for several months, I either have to buy the book and then go back and reread everything or just drop the title. Um, anyone, can anyone say Camelot 3000? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think, Randy, I think you and I are the only ones who really, truly remember that book. That was the book that everybody wanted to see and waited and waited and waited and waited. And I think I was in the Air Force when it finally ended. Because it started, <clears throat> it started like my, um, I think it was my June, um, the end of my sophomore or junior year in high school. And it didn't finish until like late 85, early 86. And, and, and ironically, Mike W. Barr was the guy that was writing it. And what was the reason for the delay? Was it DC? Was it Bolland? Or I th- what? I think it was a, a number of issues. I number of issues. Ah, I, I think it was um, <laughs> delays due to the artist and and the writing. I, I don't think it was anything DC had control over. I think it was all on the creator side. For those of you out there who don't know, Camelot three thousand was a twelve issue limited series. Um, obviously dealing with King Arthur's court in the future. Um, it was a twelve issue series, and there was a one year gap between issues eleven and twelve. <laughs> So you had to wait a year to find out how it ended. And of course, as you can probably tell, issue 12 came out, nobody cared. Yeah. But the actual... Nobody appreciated that book. Right. Actually, nobody really had any appreciation of that book until um, right after Mike W. Barr got back on The Outsiders again, Batman and The Outsiders again, and started making some noise with it. And then he did some, then he went back to doing Batman again for a little bit. And um, then people started picking up and renewing interest in it. But it was like kind of like the, the swan song on that one. Right. So anyway, Image falls behind to the point that they turned around and they hired an independent um, cartoonist by the name of Larry Mander to act as executive director, i.e., smack them all in the head and say, get your books done. Yeah, and editor-in-chief. <laughs> and that's exactly what it was. I think Valentino even says that his job was to direct the executives. <laughs> in other words, go to all the partners, like, where's your book? Uh, well, it's late. Well, I need it on my desk by Friday. I'm only two pages in. It's not my problem. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, it's right. also why you see so many um, journalists as like the superhero secret identities, because it's very similar to living in the room with an editor-in-chief. Because after all, comic books are periodicals, and periodicals must come out like on uh, during the period that you know they're expected. Right. And when you fall behind on the schedule, that's when people, like you said, you know, the readers start falling off because they expect the newspaper every day, they expect their comic book every day, they expect uh, world wide world of sports every Sunday. You know. <laughs> well, it, it, in, in order to make a, a great correlation, imagine if Time or Newsweek doesn't hit the newsstand on Monday. Exactly. The time would suffer, you know. By the time the it comes out drop. on Thursday, the news is old. You don't care. Yeah, the Down right. Jones, the Down Jones would come go down over the time. Time magazine not coming out on time. Right. Um, so, and then there was some other problems. So there was a lot of rumors that Rob Liefeld might have been using some of the Image funds to support his other company called Maximum Press, which wasn't part of Image at the time. Um, to the point that Sylvester even took Top Cal away from Image. Um, and then I guess what ended up happening was the rest of the image executives put together, told Rob about it, and Liefeld was dismissed from image. And ironically, Sylvester came back with Top Cow. So makes you think that there was some um, truth to the rumors because Sylvester even charged that Liefeld was stealing some of his talent away from Top Cow. 
He was. <laughs> so do you know more about this? I mean, I rem- vaguely remember the story, but because I didn't read of any live fails titles, I really kind of just went meh. Yeah, exactly. Rob Liefeld did not make the impact that he wanted to make with um, with Image. He didn't. He didn't uh, really hit everyone with um, the way that um, people like Spawn, the way people like Savage Dragon, where people liked um, um, Cyberforce, and um, there, there were some people who did like Shadowhawk up until the reveal. But Rob Liefeld really didn't make an impact. And then all of a sudden, every time you turned around, Rob Liefeld was putting out a different character. There was a one time, if, I'm, if my count is right, let's see, Prophet, Brigade, Youngblood, um, Fury. And it was, a, uh, it was a bunch of others. That he, he even got the rights to fighting Jack, um, not Jack Kirby, um, Joe Simon's fighting American, and uh, been put Ed McGinnis on it, and it, it and it was like, um, oh yeah, Bad Rock and all, and, and he even had other characters from Youngblood spinning off into their own books, such as Bad Rock and Chapel, who went on to figure prominently in the uh, Spawn series, and it was like. Dude, how has everybody else only got one book, and here you got six books or more out? And then you hear about him using the money to fund his, his uh, maximum press and everything. Then the next thing you know, Rob Liefeld's history. And basically, he's still being laughed at in many ways. Yeah. In regard, in, 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 in regard he's become, really, he went from being this wonderkin self-taught artist to being the laughing stock of the industry. Well, and I remember too, um, not only does that happen, but a few years later, um, Jim Lee sells Wildstorm to DC. Yeah. Um, because he wants to get m- more back into doing more creative work. And everybody started saying, oh, this is it. Image is dying. Right. You know, two of your founders have left already. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah. Um, but here's what's funny. They don't. If anything, they start getting stronger because... Yeah. They they hired this guy named Eric Stevenson as their executive director in 2008. Now, here's the funny thing. Everybody, when you think image, two titles come to mind as being their flagships, Walking Dead and Invincible, okay? But what a lot of people don't realize is those books were already going when they hired Eric Stevenson. They started in 2003. They bring him on in 2008. It was based on the strength of those two books that... Robert Kirkman is allowed to create um, Skybound imprint of Image, okay? Um, so, and again, those were two of the longest-running books for Image. What uh, other, you know, like the 144 issues for Invincible and what, 150 or something or whatever for Walking Dead. I don't remember the exact number. Um, but in 2009, um, after they make Skybound, they start getting a whole bunch of non-superhero titles. Um, let me just read a couple of the ones here to you um, because I, I know of all these. I haven't read them all, but Morning Glories. Um, I read like the first two trades of Morning Glories. Um, Chew, um, Saga, which is to this day still one of their best-selling titles. Um, Fatal, the Manhattan Projects. Um, and then as of this year, Savage Dragon and Spawn are their two longest-running titles. Um, so they, they do a full turnaround. They, they start off with all the superheroes. All the books were all superhero-related. And then in 2003, we get two books. Now, one of them is obviously a superhero title, you know, Invincible. 
but it is a, a far step from regular superheroes because when they, they get into a fight, it gets bloody. I mean, if you haven't read Invincible, you got to read it. The, the fight scenes are just gruesome. Um, and you, thought, you think to yourself, well, yeah, if you have two superpower beings fighting, it is going to be bloody, right? It's not going to be all nice and clean. Yeah. Um, and then Walking Dead, you know, I know everybody has a lot of things, to, bad things to say about Walking Dead. Even I have said bad things about Walking Dead, but it did do one thing that you've never seen before with the George Romero movies or any other zombie um, movies or media, and that was it showed you what the day-to-day life in a post-apocalyptic world looked like. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I think the, the problem with The Walking Dead, though, was the fact, with, like with so many other media, is like sometimes they just, the show goes on for way too many seasons. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like we cherish like the, the Firefly episodes because it was canceled so early, you know? Right, absolutely, and, and oh, I, that that is a great example because I think there is there is no other show that has the level of appreciation and respect for the way the series was done in Firefly. People love that show, but the, it, 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 people love it because you weren't beat to death with it. Right, it you, did, you didn't get the, enough of it. Right, and and it's like with right now, The Walking Dead is now. It's kind of like Wolverine and Venom. You're just <laughs> yep. tired of seeing it. <laughs> We're tired of it, yeah. You got, you got tired of it. Um, I, like I was telling y'all, I have a relative who is, um, who's, who is a um, cast member on The Walking Dead, The World Beyond. Uh, the young lady, Iris, is my uh, cousin's uh, daughter, Aaliyah Royale. And... Uh, not uh, hey, look, make your money, girl. But, uh, <laughs> make your money before AMC pulls the plug on you. <laughs> exactly, and, and 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 but but I can tell you right now, I have heard nothing good about the world beyond, and I've got friends who have gotten on Facebook, and they have really trashed this show. So, um, yeah, and, and, and because, because because it's like again. It's overexposed. I mean, yeah, okay, over, oversaturated. Much, yeah, right. Exactly. How much zombie apocalypse do you do you have to look at? Okay, we get it. Yeah, and then we right. have what five, four spinoffs. Yeah, but anyway, uh, so getting back to image. Uh, so let's talk about um, while we still have time here. A um, couple of the uh, the big things for image as far as their awards um, in 2018, and I did not know this. And I actually glad I looked this up. Marjorie Liu won the Eisner Award for Best Writer for her work on Monstrous, and she's the first woman in history to have won that award. So you go, Marjorie. Absolutely. And then in April of 2019, um, and this one just kind of floors me, Image Comics received a total of 30 Eisner Award nominations, more than any of the other publishers. Think about that for a second. Yeah. That's DC and Marvel. Who, Absolutely. And, and they've got, and, and Image got 30 award nominations that means at least half if not more of their titles probably got nominated for best series well i think that you know it's uh the people who broke off who started image are kind of the artists and writers of our generation you know in the sense that you know they wanted to move out of this old world old you know good old boys club that was the big the big publishers like marvel and dc right absolutely And, and so you know that that led to far more 
innovation in terms of art and writing and like who you let into the business and so forth. And I think that's a good thing. It's, it's part of the evolution of the industry. Well, and here's, what's really funny is like I said, at the beginning of the episode, we used to joke about you couldn't read an image book. Right. Just look at it. At the same time, I'm wondering if when Jim Lee and Eric Larson and all these guys went over to image and said, okay, we're going to start our own company. We're going to let the owners, um, retain ownership of the characters was there a discussion at that time that says well we need to move past just superhero books there's you know 60 superhero titles every month we need to branch out and it's okay sure but let's get the ground running first you know yeah you know yeah hit the ground running and then and then we'll eventually move into some other genres because i'm going to go over some of the titles that i think are really top titles at at um image and and enos i hope you have a couple of them as well um Black Science. I have not read this. I am going to go and pick this up because I started researching image and I said, how did I not read this? So it's written by Rick Remender, an artist by Matteo Scalara and Dean White. Um, This is straight um, um, quantum leap Voyager type of stuff. So apparently you have a scientist by the name of Grant McKay who was um, found a way to... um, punch into black science, which gives you to alternate realities and, you know, shatters the barriers. And then, of course, something goes wrong, and him and a team end up hopping from planet to planet, universe to universe. I mean, that's quantum leap all over it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking, wow. And apparently, and here's a, you're going to see a lot of these happening with image titles. Apparently, this is being looked at for a TV um, series. Wow. Uh, Enos, do you have one? Um, I cannot remember the title, but I can remember who writes it. And it was a big coup for Image. They took Ed Brubaker from Marvel. And Ed Brubaker is probably one of the best writers that has has, has a part of the, image, uh, the industry for years. There are two um, um, books that he did, and I can't think of them for the life of me. And I had it written down. I can't remember what I did with it. But um, he's really been making some serious noise over there since he got with image and uh, i know one of them is um it was a character that create that he created that was like it was something he did with steve mcnevin it was about a guy who looked like um moon knight looked like a superhero but he was actually an assassin and the book sold big time and there was another one did um, he um did he do fatal over there Yes, that's okay. it. That's it. All right. I, and um, there was another one, Sex Crimes or something like that. And, um, you know, you, you talked about it earlier, Chew, which was innovative in its own right. And I love how um, McFarlane got Dave Sim to write an issue of Spawn. That was awesome. And, he, and um, how he used Cerebus to... to um, really kick DC and Marvel right square in the family jewels in regards to their work for hire. And that came out right in the midst of the Superman Doomsday, Doomsday death of uh funeral for a friend during that death of Superman storyline. And they had a shadowized character of Superman who only kept saying Doomsday. So, yes, um, the other book you were talking about, I think you mentioned, you're, you're talking about Sex Criminals. Sex Criminals. By Matt Fraction it. and Chip Zardaski. 
Um, yeah. That's actually one of my favorites. I've read the first three trades. I need to get uh, trades four and five because I think that's another series that's ending soon. Um, the main characters, Susie um, and John, they both figure out, and sorry, guys, a little PG warning here. They discovered that when they orgasm, they can stop time. <laughs> and so, of course, what do they do? They start robbing banks. Um, the reason this is such a great series is because both of them are at the age when they're unsure about sex and this the whole, oh, my God, you know, what did I do? Does, does this happen to everybody? Those things that all of us when we were growing up discovered, right? Um, but then it also it starts getting, I don't want to say a little dark, but they discover that they're not the only ones out there with weird superpowers that result from having sex. So sex criminals, look that one up. Another good one here, and I haven't read this one, and I think I want to go pick this up also, uh, by Marjorie Liu, who I just mentioned, Monstrous. Um, so apparently it is set in a matriarchal society in like early 20th century Asia. Um, but the difference is... The uh, lead character, this girl, Micah Halfwolf, um, has a psychic link with a powerful monster, these creatures called um, Arcanics, and that Arcanic is actually um, some type of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? From an order of sorcerers, okay? And that she passes for human with Micah. So apparently the whole storyline is how does this teenage girl deal with this demonic form that's uh, living with her? you know, within her body. So it's supposed to be really good. A coven? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, um, the Kamea? C-U-M-A-E-A, Order of Sorceresses. Well, I know like a, a bunch of cats is called a glaring. Right. So I don't know what a bunch of, a, a bunch of sorcerers is. Well, I thought a bunch of cats were called a cloiter. Is it? Or a clouder. A clouder. Okay. And, and then a group of witches are uh, a coven. Are coven. Yeah. Well, it's not actually not actually a coven. It is. Uh, they are a magical creature. Right. So it is the Arcanics, magical creatures who sometimes can pass for a human, and the Kamea order of sorceresses who consume Arcanics to fuel their power. So yeah, I guess it is a coven of witches, uh, basically. Hmm. But it is set in like twentieth century, early twentieth century Asia. So a group of sorcerers is called a cabal. That's not how it's listed here. So I, you would have to look up the trade paperback, Scott. There you go. Homework <laughs> for you. <laughs> See, I gave you, I gave you something to go find and read. Yay me! It's a troop of chimpanzees, right? <laughs> but there's obviously a whole bunch of great um, image titles out there. Saga. I know we've talked about Saga before. Um, Saga. I think, and I would have to look this up. I know that they were taking a break from that, um, and then they're going to come back and do the second arc. Um, what are some of the other ones? Obviously, Invincible is really great if you want to read a superhero book. I think they also did Dynamo 5. Bleh, get this out here. Um, Enos, you have any others that you are thinking of? Uh, you basically hit everyone that, I've, that, that I know about. And, I stole um, the thunder. Huh? I said, I stole that, the thunder. <laughs> hey, look, but when you, because you, you read more of the independence than I do, and um, I really need to start looking more at them myself because, hey, look, image may be, if I can get an artist, image may be the way to go, but um, because, but, but you, but you did make a very good point. They are trying to get away from superhero comics and just tell serious stories, but they're in just comic book form. I wouldn't say trying to get away from the superhero format. I would say they've gotten away. 
they, they've gotten away. Yeah, it's um, fair to say that. Because I will, I'll, I'll put it to you like this: I have been reading comics since the mid to late seventies, and I was a superhero guy. I didn't care for the war comics. I didn't care for the Rom- horror comics, romance horror. Yeah. E- even though I would still pick up like a mystery in space or. Uh, Sci-fi, yeah. You know, the Secrets sci-fi, of the Haunted yeah. House, what have you. Um, so for me, for the longest time, it, and, and I'll tell you why. Because let's be honest, back in the 70s and 80s, there was very, very few comic books that were done well if it wasn't a superhero book, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, reading a horror comic didn't scare me. You know, I didn't find any of the stories really alarming until PC comics came around and started doing twisted tales and what have you. Well, I mean, I think superhero comic books kind of devi- uh, defined every single age of comic books right yeah you know that, even that's a fair statement. uh i mean you know yeah the golden age was a surge of the second world war and then after the war you know dropped off and that's when horror and romance became popular and right. so forth and i think in the recent years we've seen a, a lot more like non-superhero titles i, I would say since like the Sa- sandman series oh, came yeah. out Absolutely. is where a lot of these non-superhero type stories have gained a lot of traction in comic books, and I think that that's great. It's like, um, it's it's the same reason why I don't like playing D and D because I think it's too limiting. Because sometimes you know you don't want to be in a fantasy story; you want to be in a sci-fi story. Sometimes you want to be in a romance story. Sometimes you want to be playing on a on Serenity. You're on a Firefly. <laughs> One of my best Dungeons and Dragons campaigns was when I took all the aliens out of the Aliens movie and rolled up stats for them. Absolutely. And I and I had the adventurers find this village where people started disappearing. Yep, and they went to a cave, and of course they started finding them cocooned. Yep, face huggers, <laughs> and and found found all the eggs. And a couple of my friends were like cussing, going, "Oh crap!" And I'm like, "Well, now hang on." So you can't be god moding here. You yep. know what's going on, but your character doesn't yep, know exactly. what's going. <laughs> so um, that's a good move as an editor in chief of your Dungeons and Dragons campaign. So, uh, but anyway. I started reading some image because I don't even remember what started it. It may have been Walking Dead, um, but after that, I started branching out and reading other image titles and went, man, this is actually really good. And then through, thank you, internet, reading articles about other comics and series, I said, well, let me go ahead and give that a shot. And I'm like, damn, this is really good. Um, So, yeah, image comics, guys, if you're not reading any image titles, and, and I know that's almost a a preposterous statement to say in this day and age. Yeah. Pick up more if you are. If you haven't, pick up one. Pick up Sex Criminals. Pick up Black Science. Pick up Invincible. Pick up Monstrous. These are all available in trade paperbacks. Um, I would say pick up Walking Dead, but stop after the second or third trade. I didn't say that out loud. So. <laughs> <laughs> I would but, also like to recommend that one of the best books that Image put out, which to me, started them on their way to being more solid as a publisher was Shaman's Tears by Mike Grell. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, the book I and showed I earlier... recommend anybody get that. The book I showed earlier, the uh, Alex Plus Ada, um, is a great study into what does it mean to actually be human and have free thought. Because um, there's a great scene in that when... I'm going ahead and spoil it for some people. When Alex is going to have Ada freed, basically, the people that are about to do it Ask him, are you prepared for her to not stay with you? And he's like, what? He goes, you have to understand, if you open her up and unlock her and give her her free will, she may choose to not stay. Are you ready for that? And that's the moment where you have to realize, wow, do I keep my subservient robot or do I free her? 
Why did I ever put that chip in data? I get it. Right. So yeah, it's it's actually good. So that is it for next week. Oh my God, guys, we have got a great episode coming next week. We're going to be talking about our favorite episodes of the Justice League cartoon. Is um, it next week or after Thanksgiving? This next week. Okay. So start watching them now. Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Yes. Uh, next week okay. before Thanksgiving. So, um, Olivia, if you're listening, um, drop me a line. I'll let you borrow the DVDs if you need. Um, but before we go, just want to mention those three magic words of the internet, please. Like, share, and subscribe. Um, hit us up at facebook.com slash lost in a long box. Um, our sponsor, facebook.com slash GW Comics for Gateway Comics and Toys. Our sister Facebook groups, Batman, Yesterday, Today, and Forever. Realm of Superheroes, Comics, and Pop Culture, and gather together the greatest superhero teams. Um, drop us a line at lostinalongbox at gmail.com because I am lonely, and I keep saying these uh, every week, and I haven't checked the Gmail, so there's probably like 20 emails in there, and someone's going, what the hell, Randy? I thought you were lonely. Uh, right. <laughs> and then, of course, um, Madman does Shock Monkey Radio every Tuesday here from 6 to 7 p.m. on FXBG Public Radio, and, of course, patreon.com slash fxbg public radio drop us some money let us know that you appreciate us until next week we will talk to you all later goodbye everyone have a good night folks